0: Sexual assault is about power and controlling another human. It affects everyone and does not see race, ethnicity, gender, or one's socioeconomic stature. It is a crime of punishment and of legal consequences. According to Shara Kazovitz of Jackson Health System, when someone thinks about sexual assault, they often imagine a scene in which a stranger sexually assaults a woman in an alley late at night. Although these acts do occur, most sexual assaults are perpetrated by someone the victim knows, including intimate partners, friends, caregivers, or even family members, some of whom live in the same home. With the global spread of the COVID-19 pandemic and the stay-at-home orders to combat it, the risk of sexual assault within a home has increased. During the past year, many people around the world have been at home to reduce the spread of COVID-19, but this has caused a pandemic within a pandemic, For those experiencing domestic or sexual violence. By September 2020, 52 countries had integrated prevention and response to violence against women and girls. At least 155 countries have passed laws on domestic violence and 140 laws on sexual harassment in the workplace. Statistics related to sexual assault are disheartening. General statistics include The following, one out of every four women will experience sexual violence at some point. Around 84% of all sexual assaults are perpetrated by someone the victim knows. Each year, the month of April is dedicated to raising awareness about sexual violence around the world and educating communities on how to prevent it. The Education Department has now announced plans to hold a public hearing on how schools are to handle sexual misconduct cases as the first step in a planned overhaul of Title 16 regulations. Hey, everyone. This is Helene, and this is coming from my heart. April is Sexual Awareness Month, and each year it is dedicated to raising awareness about sexual violence around the world and educating communities on how to prevent it. Alexandra and I are extremely honored to have the second part of the sexual assault webinar aired today and want to thank Cora, Walk with Dignity, for their collaboration in this event. We also want to thank the survivors for their continued bravery and their voices that will always be heard. I hope all of our coming from the Hart family is having a fantastic week, and please take time for yourselves and be safe also wanted to mention that the United States right now has administered 200 million doses of the COVID-19 vaccine. The projection was 100 million. So please get out there and get your vaccine. I had my first dose and so has my family. So please get vaccinated. We want herd immunity. Tuesday, April 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so excited to have an Instagram live with Cora, which of course is Walk with Dignity. So please check us out as we talk about the sexual awareness seminar and just you know have a really wonderful conversation about what the event meant to all of us. And just uh, definitely check it out and join us. And also wanted to mention, in the month of May, we'll be recording on May 20th a mental health awareness collaboration with Humble You Media. Robin stole off from living well with Robin and also positive vibes magazine. All of us are going to get together being that we all have podcasts and have this wonderful conversation about mental health. So that episode will be airing at some time later in May. I will get back with the exact dates and I just want everyone to just take some time. Like I said, try to breathe a little bit. I know a lot of things are just going on in the world that are just a little bit crazy but again, know that your place in your heart is always with us at coming from the heart. Hey, Novi, are you out there somewhere?
1: Yeah, yes, so um, I, my story, it's um, like the sexual assault that happened to me. It's actually at the restaurant. So um, I work for the hospitality industry and one time we had like some event and, one of the cook was actually assaulted me from behind. So it was like a grab. I spoke to the other person after, you know, after, after um, the event finished. But then the response was like, oh, it's just a grab. And even then, like uh, at that time, I have a couple of my uh, close person um, was like in the event with me. And uh, they seem to be, like, not really taking what happened to me seriously. So that night after the event done, uh, I went straight to the uh, police station and I reported this person. And I told, uh, and I, apparently, uh, the person, he is uh, an illegal immigrant, so he had, like, a, couple, a multiple um, identity. So I had to go back the next day to request for, like, the paper. But to make the story short, the manager that was working uh, with me at that restaurant gave the police, like, the uh, false um, information. So they didn't uh, tell the police uh, where this uh, person who assaulted me um, uh, live or, like, address or anything. And... um, the crazy thing is like the police caught this guy at the uh, dorm that the restaurant uh, rent for the, for the whole, um, employee. So basically they actually, you know, when, when I told them what happened and when the police came and questioned them, they gave the police all like false information. So, you know, when, when it happened to me, I was like, you know, I got PTSD. I was hi- hypervigilance. Um, I went to the doctor and, um, uh, they prescribed me with like an anxiety, uh, anxiety medication, and it was just like really bad. It, it, it really actually ruined my personal life, my marriage at that time. And I really, from the beginning of the report and until the ICE finally pick up this guy and re- deported him, I I went to the court by myself. I went to the like magistrate all by myself to request for the uh, protective order. And I receive uh, a lot of emails on Facebook from this guy, uh, family and friends, saying, uh, "Are you like, are you crazy? Like, you know, it, it's just a grab. You, I mean, you don't have to take it this far." Then, uh, to me, it, it's it's really sad because by you know, like the restaurant that I uh, that I used to work for. I mean, yes, the owner used to be like, a, I mean, it's a celebrity chef, and but the fact that they you know didn't really. I mean, like, I, I didn't ask for like money or anything or like that kind of thing, but at least, you know, like show some like support or like show some like, uh, like none of them actually asked me like, hey, how is everything or like if everything's okay, like n- none. Even a couple of people that actually work there and they are from, uh, there are people from the same country uh, where I'm from, none of them is actually um, stand with me on my side. And I think, you know, as a survivor, you know, um, to me, I don't really care about what other people opinion about if it's a a big assault, a small assault or like whatever, you know, like uh, all I think about at that time was like me and how to get this person taken away, leave the country and stuff. So yeah, that's the the assault story that I could share. And during my um, self-work, to actually get off my mat and um, not really suppressing all the emotion and then like uh, trying to accept uh, things the way it is. I actually feel that, uh, I think that like I'm, I'm thankful, you know, that this thing happened because with this trauma or like uh, assault, I found out that I, you know, I, 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 uh, I could pain. So yeah. So that's how I start, um, my art and thanks to Joseph for helping me, coaching me in win off my med, my med, thank you, Helen for the, um, for this. Oh, thank you so much, Novi. You're the
0: best. And yeah, we had a really nice uh, episode with, you as well. And, you know, I as I was hoping, I said, I hope she gets to the part about the art because the art that, you know, as you just mentioned, has been cathartically a way for you to heal. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Anyway, well, thank you so much, Nova. Thank you. Thank you. Moving on to Peyton. Hello.
2: Hi. Can everyone hear me? Good? Yeah. Okay, so I guess I'll start off. My name is Peyton. I am currently a senior. I'll be graduating in May from college in Alabama. So I guess that's a little bit of a backstory. I'm from probably the smallest town in the whole world. And so hearing of rape and sexual assault, it's kind of like, oh, you see it in the movies, or you see it on the news, and when you do, it's super scary, and obviously, it's something that you know is bad, but you don't really know of anyone that has been raped, especially in your town. Like, you just don't hear of that, and so I moved away for college. I'm probably the bubbliest, happiest person you would have ever met. Like, I was in all the clubs, in the sororities, just, you know, like, I I had an amazing life, and so with that, life got super busy, and so an athletic trainer almost. And so within athletic training school, we were working probably about 60 hours a week. It was, it was a handful. And so um, one weekend, one of my friends, who's also an athletic trainer, she was like, it's my birthday tonight. Let's go out and get some tacos. And I was like, you know what, like, I deserve a taco and a margarita. Let's go. And so after work that day, um, we went, we went to her house for her birthday, and which I am kind of limited on the things I can say because this is still going through the court process. But um, after hanging out with my friends, we went out, we had a good time, had dinner, celebrated her birthday. And because I had a drink that night, I didn't feel safe driving home. And so I was going to stay with one of my friends. He was a really great friend of mine. And um, he had another mutual friend who was staying there who During the time of the night, like, I had seen him around, never met him, never spoke to him, but I had seen his face because he was there at dinner and then at the party that we were at. And so my friend made sure that I got safe and sound into bed, and um, probably at about 3 o'clock in the morning, I just remember waking up to this guy on top of me telling me, hush, be quiet, like, you're going to like it, and you're going to do what I tell you to do. And I I was mortified. And so he... He did what he, what he wanted to do, and as soon as it happened, I, I just remember the entire time like screaming no, begging him to stop, and my friends who were in other rooms were trying to come in there to help me, and by the time they were able to help me, I was so just, I guess, in shock. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know if I wanted to go to the hospital or call my mom who's two hours from home I just I was really unsure of what to do and so I got a ride home and I called my mom and for some reason we joke about it now she's my mom and for some reason she knew that something was wrong and she was awake but um I asked her I was like I don't know what to do like I'm truly covered in blood from head to toe um I know it's not that's not normal and that's not sex and so that's what I kept telling myself, that's, that's rape, that's not sex, and so, um, I went to the hospital, and I had a rape kit, which is, so it's kind of dehumanizing after being raped, just having to lay there naked in front of doctors, and detectives, and stuff, but, um, so I went through all of that, but although I am limited, like, on the things I can say about the actual case, and the rape itself, um, through all of that, like, It has been the hardest last week or this past week was actually the two year anniversary of when it happened, but it has been the hardest two years of my life. But through that, I've truly found my, my God given calling. Like I have reached people that I never thought I would reach in this small town where no one got raped. I've met so many people that have similar stories and that I'm able to talk to and help them through just because I am somehow God's given me the courage to share my story and so because I've shared my story I've had people come out to me and say hey Peyton just because you were able to speak out now like now I feel comfortable or now although I'm not going to speak out you've given me the closure that I've needed and so it was obviously the most traumatic and life-changing event in my entire life but through that like I've gained confidence and courage that I honestly didn't think were possible and then I've just made new connections, like people in here from New Jersey, like just people that I know that God is purposely setting in my life for certain reasons. And so although it's it's been a hard two years and it was really life altering and even to this day, there's still times where I question things, but I know that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be and I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I'm really thankful for people like Walk With Dignity and Helen and everyone that is allowing all of the survivors to speak out and giving us a chance just to kind of bring awareness to what is going on.
0: Thank you so much. Your so, words. So yeah. sorry for. No, no, no. Your words are so meaningful. And um, we always say, Alexandra, and I always say during the podcast that are coming from the heart. family, you touch so many, you will touch so many people. And, um, and thank you. our heart to yours definitely okay we can move on to um ennis who you're gonna read some stories for us please
3: yeah so i'm gonna be reading two stories submitted Mm -hmm. the people can't be here to share Mm -hmm.
0: uh
3: the first story is written by ashley zayer my name is ashley on may 7th 2020 i was raped i was 26 years old I was at a restaurant bar with my sister and three of my friends. One of the other employees came out to chill with us and drink. I wanted mozzarella sticks for me and my friends. So I followed him into the kitchen, hoping for a snack. What I got was much worse. He put me on the counter and started pulling out hard cheese and bread, saying it was good. He kept pulling down my shirt and bra and then my pants while I was sitting. He took out a cannoli and said I could have it. It tasted like garbage. I hopped off the counter, still drunk, looking for the exit so I could go back to my friends. He came up behind me and grabbed me, putting his hand down my pants, telling me how wet I was while I tried to get his hand out of my pants. But he was too strong and I was too drunk, too weak. He bent me over the counter and began to rape me orally, anally, vaginally. It was the most painful and worst experience of my life. I wanted it to end, but it went on forever. He dug his nails into my sides and pulled my hair. I still have the faint scratch scars on my sides. I said no and stop, but he would not stop. He only stopped when my sister and friend walked into the kitchen. I felt so ashamed and embarrassed that I had been raped and that my younger sister and friend had to walk in on it. My friend gave me her glasses because I couldn't find mine and she helped me put my clothes back on. It's been six months, and it feels like it happened yesterday. I'm in therapy now for my depression, anxiety, and newly diagnosed PTSD due to my rape. My rapist was never charged, and I never received justice. Detectives said that because I was drunk, I was not a credible witness to my own rape. The detectives never even interviewed my sister or my friends I was there with. My sister was sober. She could have told detectives everything and got a rapist off the street. But sadly, he still roams free while I'm stuck in a never ending hellhole. And this story is written by Melina Lloyd. I was sexually assaulted my freshman year of college before I headed off to college. My parents told me to keep myself safe from strange men. I knew I had to be on the lookout for strangers, but I never thought I'd have to worry about someone I knew. The timeline is blurry, but the specific events are crystal clear. I'd gotten a job as a desk attendant in my dorm second semester for freshmen, of freshman year. The DAs and RAs sometimes worked hand in hand, so I ended up joining that group of friends. Some of the other dorm residents were a part of a friend group as well, and one of them started showing some interest in me. We'll call him Ben. Ben was tall and fit, but showed a softer, more vulnerable side when we were alone. It was quite the manipulative relationship which, of course, I couldn't see at the time. Somehow, I ended up in a situation where if something did go right in my ill-defined relationship with Ben, he'd end things and start dating another girl in our friend group. We'll call her Angela. For months, he'd go back and forth between us. One night, while we were seeing each other, he went to the bars with his friends and I went to a house party with mine. I arrived back and invited Ben to my room. Moments later, he knocked on my door. I don't remember how my clothes came off, but they did. He started to try to have sex with me, and I told him I wasn't interested in having sex. When he didn't stop, it became fight or flight mode. But my only option was to fight. My knees were tucked up to my stomach and in between his arms, which were on either side of me, and I began pushing them against his chest to try and get him off me. I continued to say, No, stop, get off, convincing myself he couldn't, he just couldn't hear me. I started crying and tried to scream. I can't remember if any noise actually came out of my mouth or if it did, and none, no one came to help. Either way, my heart sank knowing that there was no one coming. When he realized I was crying, that's what got him off of me. He turned on my lamp and stood his naked body under it. He pointed at his penis as if I should be impressed. He told me to look at it. He kept telling me until I did. He said something along the lines of, don't you want this? Eventually, he got dressed and went downstairs like nothing happened. Somewhere that night and before my Saturday 10 a.m. shift at the dorm desk, I told an RA what happened. She was part of our friend group, so I thought she was someone in a position of authority, yet also a friend who could have my back. She didn't. She told Ben that I, what I had confided in her. At least that's what I pieced together. Ben confronted me in the stairway that morning, minutes before my shift. You're telling people I raved you? I remember thinking, one, I need to get out of here. Two, I don't want anyone to hear this. Three, I have to go to work. I definitely panicked and said whatever I knew would make him go away. He was excellent at manipulation. He somehow convinced me to keep seeing him when he Felt like it after that. Years later, when I meekly attempted to confront him about what happened, he gaslighted me. Well, why do you keep seeing me then? Shortly after that, our journey was done. He started officially dating Angela. In fact, I believe they're married now. I regret not reporting. It didn't seem like a big deal at the time because plenty of women get sexually assaulted. Why am I different? An RA didn't report it and instead told him what I said. No one else would believe me. I'm kind of a slut. Maybe I deserved it. These are the thoughts I had at the time. I know now that nothing that led up to that moment meant that I wanted it. It's taken years of therapy and working on my self-image to understand that what happened was not my fault. Even now, 10 years later, I catch myself making excuses and trying to justify what happened. To know this story is to know that my tiny 19-year-old brain wasn't sure what to do. Many re- people, regardless of age or life experience, don't know what to do. So I'm encouraging you to report, report, report. You are not alone. You are worthy of not only being heard, but being believed.
0: Thank you so much for those very, very powerful stories. And thank you so much for them to share them with you. Beautifully read, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Joseph, you have some words for us?
4: Yeah. So- yeah. There's a few things that, that came up that I kind of want to just throw out there and we'll see if we can get a little discussion going. If anyone wants to come on and say anything to what I say, um, we'll, we'll get into a little discussion. If not, I'll keep going. But first of all, what a beautiful event, you know, on both sides, on every side. It's, it's just so amazing to see it all come together. And that's what it takes. You know, that's that process of transformation. There's a lot that goes through it. There's a lot of years. There's a lot of different people, a lot of different stages. Uh, But you could see the different stages, the different parts of this process. And it was really, truly amazing to hear all the stories from the survivors. So I thank you so much for that. Um, I had goosebumps almost the entire time. So um, the first thing I want to talk about, and as a guy, I think this this is a great way to start this discussion off. Values in life have been lost you know, values really aren't there. And there's a lot of guys that are watching media. They're getting pushed sex. They're getting pushed these images and then they're acting on them. So what values do you believe men need to start uh, taking advantage of and and start to integrating them back into their life? Maybe values that have either been lost or new values um, that they can conquer.
5: I think this is um, good outside of just I mean, obviously we're focused right now on the conversation on men, but like as society as a whole, like being honest with yourself on ways that, you know, you might have, for example, prejudice, and obviously this is directed towards like sexual assault, like men as a whole in society, it is taught like the intergenerational trauma and also just, it's kind of, we're in this transition society where we're like learning what is the correct way to teach like to act towards a woman, what is, the correct way? What does respect mean? And just being honest with yourself and every man realizing there is growth that you can do, whether or not right now there's this whole backlash, like not all men backlash to the Me Too movement. And I don't care how good of a man you think you are, there is growth collectively that can be done and individually, period. And maybe you can't think of what that is specifically, but go and look for it. Um, It's not our responsibility to like teach to sit down with a man and lecture every man we meet. That's a huge task in each individual woman to go and say that to every single man. It's just knowing that there is work that you can do as a man and just educate yourself on sexual assault matters, how to respect women, the whole field. There's always room for improvement, period. Yeah, like no matter how good of a man you are.
4: Yeah, thank you, Jennifer. Robin?
5: Yes, I think
6: it also starts from when boys are very young. I think the way a father treats a mother sets the tone for respect for women. But I also think the father has to change the view of, oh my gosh, if his daughter had sex, that would be horrible. But if his son has sex, good boy, you go Mm -hmm. get him, you got him, that's great for you, conquest, did you tap her, all these words and phrases that men use about women, it's disgusting. It's it's not a conquest. It's it's a human being. You're and I think if we can start as parents educating our kids, it has to start at a, a young age because once that's ingrained in them, they go to college and they think that this is the way it should be. And movies do it. It's it's sad. It's out there and it's We're really not. really it's, hard to break. So we as a society we can only change what we can change we can only control our world and what's what, what influence we have but we all have to do that that's why i said i had that conversation with my son and i said no means no and he's like mom i got it believe me i you know i am not i'm going i'm not going there at all so we have to start that but and and respect people for people not to try to just look at them as as a conquest or as a get over or something, you know, talk to your buddies and, and tell people that, think of it as, how would you feel if that were your sister? Mm -hmm. If a guy looked at it like that, Mm -hmm. that's a person. And I think if we, same, it's a double standard, probably with so many men out there, they could be good men, but that's how they would think. They'd be upset if their daughter had sex, but they'd be happy that their son did it. And it's why, you know, that's just not, and we also start having to, start to think of sex as a as an emotional human connection and not just some some act because Mm -hmm. it means so much more when it when it is when it is an emotional connection and it's a shame that people have this this view of it And, and it just struck me listening to these 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 poor young women who have had this happen to them and I just think what were these guys thinking going through their head how could they be so just non-caring about, about another human being. It's just for their own gratification. It's just a, and it's also a control thing. We know that. It's not always just about sex. It's control in many many cases so it just broke my heart to hear that as a mother and I just I just wanna say thank you all for sharing those stories because it really touched my heart and it, and, it, and it angered me as a mother because I'm thinking I'd want to kill that guy I wanna just be honest I'm just I'd wanna take my hands and really strangle them for doing something like that to my mm. kid and affecting them the rest of their lives really I mean this is something you have to live with and try to get over the rest of your life and I just appreciate you all sharing that and I just think it has to start from where we are. Doing something like this is great, and, and we have to set the tone for our children as, as parents. And when you all have children and you get older, you need to do that for them and, and share that with them.
4: Yeah, that's beautiful. A thing that that came up during that was that uh, the the same principle that Julie spoke on, which was the breaking the cycle. It's the same thing with race, uh, racism, racism in the world. Um, You know, the the parents kind of teach it to the children then they teach it to their children. It is until somebody makes that conscious awareness to to make a change. And, uh, you know, I really like that you spoke on that, Julie. Do you want to speak a little bit more on that process of of, of noticing uh, that cycle that you had to break?
7: Sure. I mean, it kind of happened unintentionally. Well, I tried to get my mom to talk about this for a long time, for as long as I can remember. And she always just denied, 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 uh, mostly like through ignoring, she would ignore me, change the subject and, and I would just go through with it. Right. And somehow this last summer, um, I was talking to her about some stuff going on in the family. And that's when she just like opened up and shared about an experience that my grandmother went through that she just became aware of. And so I was like, wow, she's talking about this. I kind of went along with the conversation and I realized like, wow, that I didn't know my grandma went through that, but I knew my mom did when she was younger. She talked about it once with me. And so I kind of just continued that conversation about my grandmother and then it somehow, led to her talking about her experience once again and then I asked her did you tell your mother about it and she said I did I was like why well what happened and she was like she didn't believe me I was like how did that feel and she's like that didn't feel good and she started crying and I was like yeah I know what that's like and then that was like her aha moment and I was like mommy can I ask you like what happened and she then finally said it, she was like, I was afraid. Mm -hmm. And then it that's when it also hit me and I'm like, oh, I don't know why I didn't consider that. Like she was afraid too, just like I was afraid and I would imagine her mom was afraid and then her mother and her mother. And so it just, it kind of also let me see it from a human um, perspective because for most of my life, no, that's not true, my mom, still even through that, like I loved her so much. And I, I, she was like my best friend for a long time. And when I finally realized as an adult, like what was happening to me or what happened to me, that's when I became angry at her. And that's been like my journey for the last five years. was like working through that anger that I have towards her, but this is the first time that I was able to see her as human. And that was really what changed. And, and really now, I don't know, like really understanding more of like what, like the trauma that's been carried down and passed through my family. So I'm kind of just, I'm still in it. You know, I I've done a lot of like my own healing work and I'm so happy to be at this place where like, I finally feel free from that. It was a lot of work, a lot of befriending my body. My body was no longer mine. It was everyone else's, whoever wanted it, you have it. Like that's literally what it was. And that was, that was hard. So for me to like take my body back and learn how to be in her and love her, that's been the, the journey. And so I'm just working with my mom now, like in helping her through that um, as much as I can, cause it's not my work to do. And then the same thing with my, my grandmother. So really just seeing how that's showing up in my family. And then, you know, it just so happens that like more people are showing up and coming to me recognizing the trauma that's been passed down through their family and I've been working with them through that as well so it's a very complex thing so
4: yeah yeah and it's deep rooted it's been in in, in the ancestors for for you know decades and decades and decades and to do that work um, really appreciate it so thank you for sharing that Um, another thing that keeps coming up is that strength Uh, a lot of strength that comes through this process. So um, I really thank everyone um, that that spoke on that. It's a, you know, that's a sort of silver lining in a sense at the end of the tunnel to to get towards and aim towards. But again, it's a process and everyone takes their own time. I mean, we've had counselors, podcasters, coaches, magazine, health reporters, uh, self-defense, self-defense people. I mean, we've had, we'd have everyone, we had survivors. We've had people that that were at college campuses and in fraternities. I mean, we got a great group together With this group, is there anything education wise that you wish can still be installed, maybe in schooling systems, especially early childhood education, anything that that, and I see Caitlin getting excited, anything that's coming up in the relation of um, maybe adding something to the education system?
8: I think one of the things that would be really, really important is, you know, for us to have better education around sex, to be able to actually move away from the whole you know, some people may have different views on this, like the abstinence and and all this stuff, like to be able to have genuine conversations, not only just about sex in and of itself, but sexual assault too. Like what is okay? What is not okay? Being able, you know, kind of going back as well, you were talking about values, also addressing like masculine, toxic, toxic masculinity, if I can talk, addressing that because men and young boys are not taught vulnerability they're not taught that you can connect with someone that there's more to you and i think being able to change that conversation helping young boys young men kind of be able to develop a space where they can a take responsibility for their behaviors b also dress codes in school need to change and not make it on the responsibility of the female to look a certain way. So the males can study, you know, I think just sometimes the school even changing some of their approaches could be really beneficial and being able to, to allow young women and even young men to feel like they can be safe going to people in the schools. And I think educating the teachers and even some of the counselors in the school programs to be like, Hey guys, this is what to look for. And this is, this is how we can provide support for people and not just kind of downplay it.
3: Yeah. I think that's really good. I just wanted to jump in because I'm really passionate about that, especially like early interventions. I'm thinking even just talking about consent, not in the sexual, but also just like some people don't want to be touched and that's okay. And that's super important to instill in all children. Like they don't have to kiss or hug someone i think with kids we always forget that they have their own autonomy and it's really important that we understand that they do have their own autonomy and also i think it's good for other people to like look out of signs like trauma informed you know when they can see a, a classmate struggling or what's happening or how to go about reporting in, in the you know i was in a masters program at a really good school for psychology And one of the main teachers told me, like, be careful, don't be with this male student ever, because he will rape women students. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was shocking that my own advisor at the time would tell us because they couldn't get do anything about it either. And no one knew how to, it just got messy. you know, institutionalized. So there's so many different levels and it's good to talk about the sex component of assault, but I think too, it's a lot about power and how to navigate those power dynamics in a bigger institution, whether it's, you know, people that are incarcerated, because that often happens in those institutions too, schools, like anywhere, the workplace. But I think, again, just educating kids about consent and sexu- age-appropriate sexual health could be a very good way to at least get people aware of certain things before it escalates. Like grooming behavior. If I knew what to look out for, I feel like I would have been in much better equipped to handle some really uncomfortable situations I was forced in as a, as a minor.
0: If I just have a thought, as everyone was speaking, I was thinking about the educational aspect, because I taught elementary school before I was in the grad world, and I really think that sex education in school clearly is needed. I mean, yes, it is, depending upon the district, depending upon the state, certain things are discussed, certain things are not discussed, and as the child matures and moves on from, let's say, even a little one the pre-k through elementary middle school junior high that the conversations need to be appropriate for that level of of student and i know that the state particularly in new jersey has certain curriculum mandates and and whatnot but i think that there's always need for change and for things to be altered to be appropriate because so much is happens in this world with so much discrimination and so many things that need to be addressed so before, you know, so if children are getting this education and getting the education at school, often or not, sometimes they may, may not be getting that at home. You know, I believe when I was teaching, often the parents would always point to the schools for all the education, for everything. And I find that now because families are so different, ex, you know, extended family, um, nuclear family, what, what, you know, whatever family you're coming from, and depending upon your your origin, whether you're coming from another country. I know, you know, we've gotten kind of into that as well. You know, they need to be getting this education somewhere. And I believe that it's all about that. Starting out from, you know, a young person and really understanding truly that you need to respect one another. And it's really about, you know, respecting another human. So that's my, that's my thoughts.
9: Ellie, that's, that's a great ad. You know, I, I recently read a book. It's called... Raising a Modern-Day Knight, mm-hmm. and there's a couple of other ones, Raising a Modern-Day Princess. And they were excellent books. And I don't have a son. I have a six-year-old daughter. And my whole world changed when I had my daughter. Mm-hmm. And when I started to understand more about, you know, what a knight is and how it was back in the day and how they were respected, and it was all about making sure that you lived this noble life. And at the end, you gave everything you had. And I believe that we as individuals, as parents, as as human beings, part of humanity, we have to take the responsibility to bring that back, as Joseph mentioned. And I think somebody else might have mentioned that you know, we kind of lost the, the values of being raised. And I tried to think back as far as I could. And I grew up in Brooklyn in the streets and you know, had a tough life, but I didn't have any serious core values, you know, there were real no real values written on the wall that said, you know, this is how you live. You, you learned as you went along. Mm-hmm. And I think that the topic we speak of today is uh, very often kind of swept under the carpet because people don't understand and they don't understand the the lines of what's okay, what's not okay, what's considered assault, what's not, uh, how far can I push it? And I truly believe that We each have to understand what it means to us, our values. And then we have to instill that in our children and the people we mentor. And for me, I I have close to a hundred kids in my program, in my gym right now, and that's just one gym and that's just current. And, you know, we wrote out a 24 month program of all the core values we felt are important. And every week we talk about the value and we give them homework and that's part of our boxing program. They have physical part of it, they have um, the value part of it, and then there's a community part of it where they get up and introduce themselves, and they all lead by example, and I'm talking about kids four to seven, eight to twelve, then we have teenagers, and then we work with adults, but I really feel that it's our responsibility to do the research, and no one is going to be able to teach our children the way we do and and what we believe in. And then when we start to understand who they are as they grow up, we help them understand even more who they are because now we've become more knowledgeable and have more valuable information to give to them. So communication is a very, very big part of our society today that I believe mm-hmm. needs to be worked on because people do not know how to communicate mm-hmm. verbally. Unfortunately, everything you guys are saying is spot on. They, they communicate with their hands sexually, there's abuse of power. I mean, there, there's so many ways to communicate and we have to teach people to be better communicators and have those difficult conversations because they're very hard to have, but they're the most important ones to have. Thank,
4: Thank you, you so much, John. And then we have two more on the education, uh, Jennifer, and then we'll go to Caitlin, and then we'll wrap up with a few more notes. Uh, Jennifer.
5: Oh man, the conversation like went to these different areas. <laughs> so, I guess, okay, I have a few things I wanted to say. So, like, values kind of are dependent on where society is at. Society is forever changing. So, like, we really can't rely on, you know, there's all this stigma around sex. I mean, truth be told, I mean, I was 12 to 14, and I think older generations than myself would consider that really young to start having, like, you know, sexual feelings or whatever. But I, I mean... I was, I knew about sex and wanted to participate in sexual acts by the time I was like eight or nine. I mean, like, and that's normal. And I think that having this shame around sex and there's this really core thing about like, you know, and I I really, I do agree about having values, but there can be a lot of stigma and shame when you're telling the kid what their values should be. And like anatomically, they can't live up to that because they're going through puberty. Like every kid is so different. I'm not talking about men and they're like you know, desire to go and molest somebody that's not necessarily what I'm trying to excuse. It's about talking to victims and victims feel ashamed about coming forward because they've been a part of an act or like for me, I was molested for two years. And at the time I loved that guy, you know, like he was 19 and I loved him. And I actually win willingly. I mean, there was no consent obviously because of my age. And I know that now, but at the time I felt like I was giving consent. I felt like I wasn't doing anything wrong. I felt like I was living in a value system. And by the way, I was Mormon at that time. So I had a very, um, not Mormon anymore, but a very uh, extreme view of what sex and values like that relationship should be. So I don't think that like having a realistic conversation with kids about sex, regardless of projecting of like what values you think they, they should have about sex is really important. Like just saying, look, realistically, you will be put in situations where sex can happen. I can raise you based on religion. I can raise you based on, Um, my own personal projections of what happened to me in the past yada 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 that in a sense is great but also can become irrelevant depending on where the kid is at in society today so like yeah just it's just really important to have a really realistic honest conversation with kids you can I think it's great someone mentioned about talking to their kids like adults like at this stage in the game, we really need to be just brutally honest and be like, this is what can happen. This is what is not okay. And be descriptive, be blunt. Like that is what I wish someone would have told me. And then also I wanted to touch base on the, on the generational trauma um, really quickly. Cause I know that, you know, I'm going on a little tangent here, but um, generational trauma can manifest in so many different ways. And for me, because I grew up with really intense abuse from my dad I saw the humanity in abusers. And I think that's something that victims do a lot that I've noticed this like common link of, it's okay to, I don't even know how to, I felt bad for my abuser for a long time. I felt bad, I'm going to court against him now. And sometimes I still think about, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing, putting someone in prison. And that is totally okay and normal to feel, But that was my generational trauma manifesting because I was abused and I learned from a young age to see the good in my abuser, which was my father. And that carried on into, you know, me being sexually abused and seeing the goodness that was in the sexual abuser. And I think that that can be really challenging as a victim to go through because it does stop you from reporting. It does stop you from, from talking to, you know, like your parents about, you know, the whole, Previous sex shaming thing I talked about, like it creates this like inner turmoil that you're just like, what the heck do I do? Like, I feel so bad for these people, but you don't have to feel bad, you know, for those feelings of putting them away. It's okay to do that. And then just, it's also the community's responsibility to be aware that when a kid's come to school, abuse doesn't always look like the black eye, like the kid coming in with a black eye from their parent abuse looks like the really subtle things like and being aware that there are kids out there that you think are doing fine and they're not and they are being emotionally abused and those kids are susceptible to um, to sexual abuse because they're drawn to abusers so yeah that's all tied into what everyone said but I just felt like that was so important because if I had known that sooner I would have saved myself and and a lot of people around me a lot of shame and guilt about what happened to me so yeah
10: I'd like to hop in here for a minute. Yeah, a lot of great things have been said, so I'm also gonna jump around, apologize in advance if it's a little chaotic. But one thing that has come up a couple times that I think is interesting is the fight, flight, or freeze reactions. There's actually a fourth reaction called fawn. And that's when you sort of like, wanna make the person attacking you feel welcome, or you want to make yourself smaller and, make sure that everything is okay for your attacker because that's how you think you're gonna be safe. You're gonna make them happy and then they'll treat you nicely. And I actually found out about this last year and I realized I have a fawn trauma response. So it took me a long time to get over the guilt of being sexually assaulted and being coerced into things because it was someone I had been dating for a little while and I was like, oh, I care about him just because I'm crying doesn't mean it's wrong. I just want to make him feel happy. But I was completely disregarding my own feelings about it. And this is someone that I had gone to school with for a little while. And I couldn't help but think about the sex ed that we received in high school. They did a great job at talking about STIs and STDs. I can very vividly remember being a very awkward 15 year old and they'd put up pictures of like penises with diseases up on the board. And I'd be like, okay, don't really want to see that, thanks. Um, But they never really talked about the subtle things. They talked about, okay, well, here's what rape is. Here's what physical abuse is. But they didn't talk about like the gray area. And I was coerced into so many things and I didn't know that that was bad. And neither, neither did my attacker actually, um, about halfway through the relationship, if that's what you want to call it, he said, "Hey, I just like read that coercion's bad. I'm sorry. And like he recognized that what he did was wrong, but it didn't change the behavior because the main incident still happened afterwards. I think it's really difficult because some people have different ideas of what isn't isn't okay. And that makes consent kind of a hard thing to talk about. One of my friends, she <laughs> she loves when her partner just like comes up to her and like surprises her and like starts touching her because to her, that's romantic and that's great. But to me, that's very triggering. And I've heard a lot of conversations between men where it's like, oh, women don't make any sense. Like some love catcalling and others think it's like harassment. I was like, okay. I think catcalling is harassment, but someone else might take that as a compliment. It's up to the individual, and you have to understand that every interaction is different. Every interaction requires its own consent. Just because partner A is okay with it doesn't mean partner B is okay with it. Just because partner A reacted in this way doesn't mean partner B is going to react in this way. And it took me a long time to understand that and understand that I was not broken for not wanting to have sex when I was young. I didn't want to have any like sexual relations with this person because I just wasn't ready for it. I was uncomfortable. It's a really difficult topic because there's so many facets to it. And one thing that I realized or found out about a year after this whole situation ended was that this person who attacked me was complaining about not having sex with me to some of his buddies even though he would tell me to my face that he was okay with it and it's the little things like that like it just really shows the sort of culture that we have created around sex around consent around young girls and young men and exploring relationships for the first time someone might be kind to your face and then say something horrible behind your back and it's like is that abuse is that harassment like where does that fall It's such a difficult topic, and that's why we need to have these conversations. Mm. That's why we need to be here. That's why we need to have all these different opinions on, well, here's how I'm raising my daughter. Here's what I hope she does. Here's how my dad raised me. Here's what I did. It's absolutely insane, but I'm so glad we're having this conversation, and yeah, I just wanted to share my thoughts.
4: Yeah, yeah, thank you for that. I'm going to wrap things up real quickly, but realities of sexual assault, of the sexual traumas that are going on. The realities is what we talked about here. We talked about the realities. Everyone has a different story. Everyone has a different truth to share. And I think it's so powerful that we were all able to speak that truth. Real quickly, anything coming up before we close things out, anything on anyone's mind that they want to share, any other realities we may have missed, uh, real quickly on my mind the seeking justice and how there wasn't much support. There's a few stories that told that story. And I think it's amazing that, you know, somebody has to go through the trauma, go through the difficulty of the abuse, and then they have to do it alone and go through that process without much help. Uh, that, that to me was a surprise. And and I wonder how many nonprofits are out there maybe offering services for uh, that specific reason. Uh, any other realities maybe coming up, any other notes that anyone has coming through?
5: I wanna say one thing about reporting. It's so, I think it's, everyone has their own like path to healing, obviously not everyone needs to report, but for me, like I really, um, it was so hard, the anticipation of it and the unknown of knowing how the process goes. And it's kind of this reputation about how, you know, the legal um, side of stuff is not on the side of the victim and it's more so protecting, you know, predators and perpetrators of sexual assault. And, and I definitely think that's like true, but I do think that just if you feel, you know, like the whole back to honesty with yourself, like if you feel like you have to do that, there are outside of the legal system, so many people that love and care about you and will be there with you through it. And it doesn't feel like it in the anticipatory stage, but all you have to do is reach out and being honest, there are people that are going to give you shit, (laughs) but then there are more people that like stand behind you. And I just, I didn't know that. And I wish that I knew that just people really do want to hear your story. They want to hear what you have to say. And they do want to be behind you when you're in court, because it's terrifying and it doesn't feel like it, but it is there. You just have to reach out. So that's all I wanted to say about it.
4: Beautiful. Anyone else? While well, we're thinking self awareness, just to close and wholeness in life. That's it's yeah. really just the way to, to kick things uh, to, to to wrap things up. Excuse me. Um, is is that is that awareness? Everyone spoke on awareness and how that really helped. So much love. Uh, stay yeah. whole, so, Helene. Helene, back you to you. The best. Thank you.
0: You're the best. Well, I just wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And all of you have just elevated me to such a level of just awareness and i I, you know i think joseph and i were both saying that we both had like goose pimples through most of this so that i know that my spiritual connection and everything that i am a part of and of course that alexandra's part of as well is coming through um the purpose of having a podcast really went from me not being able to do deal with a lot of things i was dealing with physically last year and i always felt like i needed to have a voice and clearly my voice has given so many of you a voice here today. So I know that I'm in the right spot. So much of our podcast is about the validation and never feeling alone. And I want everyone who came on here today that to know that you definitely have a coming from the heart family, that we are definitely here for you. You know, check out our episodes. This is not Helene advertising. This is Helene saying to all of you to know that you are clearly, I mean, I just repeat myself, of, of never feeling alone, to feel validated. And really, what I have gotten out of this gathering, or as I say, this event, is the fact that communication and education definitely need to be something that has to happen at many different levels and hopefully all of us can be advocates for that. Like the expression says, you tell someone and someone tells someone else and you have platforms and ideas and we get things out there. In 2018, hashtag me too was something that everyone was sort of attaching to from all walks of life, whether it's Hollywood or here and there and all these stories were coming out. And then unfortunately the conversations ended and clearly with the podcast and with our collaboration with Cora and Walk With Dignity, we don't want that to ever go away. So please make sure that you continue to speak. Please continue to have your voice because your voices are beautiful and they definitely need to be heard. I'm getting like emotional here talking about it. It's been an amazing experience for me doing this webinar. And I thank you for your time. And I just also want to mention that... Ines had said something that if you would like to connect with her at where fig, you can go to Instagram and check that out. If you want to connect with anyone who has spoken today, because we had, of course the anonymous and the anonymity to part to this, you can always get in touch with me and I will message that person to see if they're comfortable to have that conversation with you, but just know that you definitely have a family in what we've done today. And thank you. Have a wonderful day. Go outside wherever you are. We got some 70 degree weather here in New Jersey. I see Joseph is dancing. And all I can say is from my heart to your hearts. I love you guys. Take care. I'm signing off.